0: So tell me, how do you come up with a final answer in a year like the one that we've just had? Allow me to share with you these very familiar words, images, and phrases from 2020. Shelter in place. Lockdown. How about life after lockdown? As a matter of fact, I think it was in April. (laughs) No kidding. Way back in April, I preached a sermon. The title was Life After Lockdown. For some reason, something had led me to believe that there was truly life after lockdown and that it was coming soon. How about this one? Zoom. Conference call. Pandemic. I've heard it. Epidemic. But I don't think I'd ever paid any attention before 2020. To the word pandemic, coronavirus, China, Wuhan, China, what's really going on in China? really hadn't thought about it that much. How about fake news, social distancing? I've never heard of that before. six feet. there are those that argue it should be twenty four or twenty eight feet now they're saying no, needs to be outside. Don't even go inside a building. How about wear a mask? If you'd have said something to me before 2020 about wearing a mask, I probably the first thing I would have thought of was Halloween. How about aerosol or aerosols, you know, the the moisture particles that travel throughout the air and, and they carry things. If you'd have said aerosol to me before 2020, I would have thought you would you were talking about glade air freshener. Here's a couple more and then we're gonna get going. How about PPE? Personal Protective Equipment. CDC? Sure, I'd heard of the CDC before. Did I ever pay much attention to it? No. How about BLM? Black Lives Matter. Here's one for you. Operation Warp Speed. And then, so many profound learnings about the development of vaccines. Wow! Now, I know you medical professionals and maybe you chemists or something would be thinking about mRNA-developed vaccines and the differences and Pfizer, Moderna, and wow, 91, 93 degrees below zero to freeze it. It's unbelievable. And we're all, I think, way too familiar with this daily struggle. It's a daily struggle that goes something like this. Well, should I do it? Can I do it? Is it safe? Hmm, will they even be open if I drive down there? Should I even put that event on my calendar? It's probably not going to happen anyway. How do you make plans and how do you finalize anything anymore? How could you be certain of anything anymore? A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned a guy by the name of Alfred Delp, D E L P. He's one of the writers for uh, a, just a super Advent devotional. The title of the devotional is Watch for the Light. And when he writes about Advent, he says that Advent for my life is a time to be totally disrupted, it's a time for me to turn away from my imaginary worlds, these worlds that I've built and that I've manufactured myself, these worlds where I imagine that things really are true when they're not. Advent is a time to allow God to teach me and to show me that I really cannot control the universe. Advent is a time for God to show me honestly just how much I need Him. Well, I'm sharing with you now from Matthew chapter 1, quite often it's referred to as the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph, but this reading is really about a time in people's lives where there was not only radical obedience on the part of Mary and Joseph, but it was a radical disruption in all of their lives. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Well, although it's quite appropriate and very traditional to share the Christmas story, even at this time of year, many people tend to lean toward Luke's version of the Christmas story. This was the Christmas story that I shared just a couple days ago for the Christmas Eve service. And even though most of us know that there is a version of the Christmas story in the Gospel of Matthew, which I just read, most people kind of tip their hat to Matthew's account, which portrays this miraculous event much more in Joseph's, or should I say from Joseph's, perspective than it is from Mary's. Here Mary and Joseph are two young people who'd been pledged, probably by their families and or a priest, they'd been pledged to each other, promised to one another to be married. By some accounts, they actually knew each other and were in love. Either way, they embarked on the adventure of their lives, realizing that what the prophets had foretold for hundreds of years previously about a coming Savior and that this was happening to them in their lives, in their place, and in their time, in their hearts, where the rubber hits the road, right there, in their lives, and in their marriage to come. Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, was no longer just an obscure name on a prophetic scroll somewhere. But Jesus, the Messiah, was no longer God in the flesh who would redeem the world someday. No, Jesus, born in Bethlehem, who would escape to Egypt and someday know Nazareth as his own home, was to be their very own son. Things were changing fast and furious, especially for Joseph and Mary. Things were changing unexpectedly. And in Joseph's mind, here's the important part his plans for a quiet life, raising a young family in the country. Were turned upside down. With the promise of the angel that we just heard, Joseph would now have to carry out a secret divorce rather than a family marriage celebration. Or, wait a minute, maybe not. But what on earth was Joseph going to do about Jesus? because joseph was known as a man of honor and responsibility especially at a time when making choices was obviously going to be difficult at best the poor guy had to be confused it's not like joseph had a lot of options is what we're saying here accordingly how you how have you been doing this year when what you thought was final when what you thought or let's just say what you knew was A done deal, only to discover later that what you thought had been finalized is now completely off the table and no longer an option. I want to summarize an article here uh, from about three weeks ago. Uh, It was in the Washington Post. Some of you may have seen this, and the title of it is called The Quarantine Quarterback. Jake Fromm, a Buffalo Bills rookie quarterback, occupies a strange and novel position. He's on a team, but he rarely ever sees his teammates. He stays prepared while his coaches hope that he never has to play. He watches practice from a distance, and when he throws passes, the defense is invisible, and his receiver is often a community relations expert. This guy, Jake Fromm, has found himself, and this is a quote from him, I crave human interaction. I love hanging out with the guys and spending time with people. I'm a real big people person, you know. That's the one thing I miss, is being around people, being around the guys. I know a lot of people during these tough times have missed hanging out with people, hanging out with family and friends. That's something we've all missed. This bizarre NFL season led to the creation of unusual and, with mercy, a very short-lived NFL role. And here it is, the quarantine quarterback. The Buffalo Bills decided at the outset of the season that Fromm would be kept away from other quarterbacks. So, if the coronavirus infected one member of the position of that group, an outbreak on the t- an outbreak on the team would not leave them without a player. At the sport's most important position, fromm and others like him became the gridiron version of a designated survivor, and the logic of the logic behind this role of quarantine quarterback actually became apparent recently because the Denver Broncos lost all four of their quarterbacks after their starting quarterback and the next one and the next guy all tested positive, and the others were found to have been in contact with him without wearing masks. Thus was born this final answer of the quarantine quarterback. Certainly in this case, the case of Jake Fromm and the Buffalo Bills, the quarantine quarterback for this NFL's teams is indeed the final answer. About these words, my friends, these enduring words from the Apostle Paul. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts in your minds, in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Friends, I just shared with you some of the most beautiful and enduring and and just valuable teaching words from the Apostle Paul as he writes in the Philippians chapter 4. You've heard me talk about this before. Whatever is you've learned or received, whatever you've heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What a year we've had. What a way to look to the future! What a way to look to the future with with hope and with joy what a what a way, what images to have in our mind as we look back over a very difficult, very disruptive, very disruptive, almost paralyzing year, whatever is true, whatever is positive, whatever is holy. Whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is lovely and admirable, think about and do these things. Just think about what the world would be like if each and every one of us made the conscious choice to allow God in Christ and His way of life, and His way of teaching, His way of living, His way of loving, His way of caring and being compassionate. What if we allowed all these truths to be a part of our daily lives so much that it's God's truth and God's way of living? These would be the things that would be our unshakable foundation each day of our lives. My friends, I'm talking about our final answer for 2020. I'm talking about a time of disruption a time of loss, a time of uncertainty, a time of of not even being able to plan anything anymore, of wondering what we could do or what we could not do. It would be so easy to look back on 2020 and say to ourselves, man, I'm glad that's over, or I hope it's over. I hope it's behind me. What will be your final answer for 2020? Will it be despair? Will it be loss? Believe me, it's healthy to think about those things. Realize that they truly are a part of your life now, today. But as we look ahead to 2020, 2021, I should say, let's think about those things that are good and true, those things that hold us to the rock. I share with you a very beautiful Advent story It's from that same devotional that I mentioned earlier in this sermon. It's written by a man named Brennan Manning. It was written a long time ago. The title of this is Shipwrecked at the Stable. Shipwrecked at the Stable. It's beautiful. Listen to this. On a wintry night in an obscure cave, the infant Jesus was a humble, naked, helpless God who allowed us to get close to him. We all know how difficult it is to receive anything from someone who has all the answers, who's completely cool, utterly unafraid, needing nothing, and in control of every situation. In cases like that, we most often feel unnecessary. But God entered into our world not with the crushing impact of unbearable glory, but he entered our world in the way of weakness, vulnerability, and need. Yes, God comes as a newborn baby, giving us a chance to love him, making us feel that we have something, that we have something to give him. The infant Jesus was born in unimpressive circumstances. No one can actually say where. His parents were of no social significance whatsoever. And his chosen welcoming committee was comprised of losers and dirt-poor shepherds. But in this weakness and poverty, the shipwrecked at the stable would come to know the love of God. Who are the ship shipwrecked at the stable? The shipwrecked at the stable are the poor in spirit, who feel lost in the cosmos, adrift in an open sea, clinging with a life-and-death desperation to the one solitary plank. Finally, they are washed ashore as they hold on to this plank, and they make their way to the stable, stripped of the old spirit of possessiveness in regard to anything. The shipwrecked find it not only tacky, but utterly absurd to be caught up in either in tinsel trees or in any religious experiences. Well, doesn't going to church on Christmas make you feel good? The shipwrecked at the stable are not concerned with their own emotional security or any of the trinkets of creation. They've been saved. They've been rescued. They've been delivered from the waters of death. They've been set free for a new shot at life at the stable in a blinding moment of truth they make the stunning discovery that jesus is the plank of salvation they have been clinging to without ever knowing it the shipwrecked at the stable are captivated by joy and wonder the shipwrecked at the stable they found the treasure in the field of bethlehem the pearl of great price is wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The shipwrecked at the stable believe the unbelievable that God came in the flesh to give himself to us simply as a gift, only as a gift, for us to receive. In 1980, the day before Christmas, Richard Ballinger's mother was busy wrapping packages. And she asked her young son to shine her shoes. Soon, with only the proud smile a seven year old can muster, he presented the shoes for inspection. His mother was so pleased she gave him a quarter. On Christmas morning, as she put on her shoes to go to church, she noticed a lump in one shoe. She took it off and found a quarter wrapped in paper. She removed the paper opened up the note, and there scribbled in her son's handwriting was this short sentence. I'd done it for love. When the final curtain falls, each of us will be the sum of our choices throughout life, the sum of the appointments we kept and the appointments we didn't keep the glory of the shipwrecked at the stable will be that they habitually failed to turn up for duty. In their defense, the shipwrecked at the stable will claim they were detained by a baby in swaddling clothes. And when interrogated as to why they hung out at that stable, they will answer, we done it for love. In their integrity, the shipwrecked at the stable preserved the meaning of Christmas. They preserve that meaning of Christmas in its pristine purity, the birthday of a Savior, and the eruption of the Messianic era into history. This Christmas, may you belong to their number. This Christmas, May you, along with me, be shipwrecked at the stable. Amen.